Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week. Hump Day, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, the C Spire. Text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. If you would like to jump in and be a part of the conversation. One of the best new phones is here, C Spire celebrating with a fully loaded deal, buy the latest phone and get another one free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. Cspire customer inspired. Glad to have you along. There will be no baseball tonight. Mother Nature has other plans in the Bronx. Probably good news for a Yankees pitching staff that has not been great and has been used pretty heavily in the last couple of ball games. I don't know if it's good news or not for the Astros. They have been rolling up two games to one now. And Game 4 will be played tomorrow night. The NLCS is over after the Washington Nationals blanked. Well, it didn't blank. Cardinals got some runs late. They jumped out to a 7-0 lead and got the win over Cardinals to sweep the Redbirds and advance to the first World Series in franchise history. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, what's up on a Wednesday? I didn't watch baseball again last night, admittedly so, but I do, one of my favorite traditions about this time every year is when the Cardinals get eliminated, either mathematically from the postseason or in the postseason, because there is not a fan base that gets more angry on the internet, like violently angry, than Cardinals fans. And it's always just really fun to scroll through and read how violently angry they get. Like, they've got, Alabama's got nothing on them. When they what about lose, ball Twitter and Michigan Twitter, but the difference between Michigan Twitter and Cardinals Twitter is Michigan Twitter like holds true to the we're morally superior than you thing like the entire time, even when they lose. It's like, oh well, we lost because Ohio State cheats. You know, like they still pull that card. Cardinals mm-hmm. fans do the we're better than you thing until they lose, and it's I hope we throw our bats at the opponent. Huh. <laughs> Saw a buddy of mine tweet last night, uh, put a tent over this circus, ready for this season to be over. Oof. Really? I don't think you were ready a week ago when uh, you were scoring 10 in the first inning or 11 or whatever it was against the Braves and then uh, comes back and catches you on the uh, on the other side. Tough outing for Dakota Hudson. It did not go well. He lasted just a third of an inning in the game as the, uh, the Nats came out swinging in a big way last night in D.C. Hey, Dad, what's up? What's going on, guys? Borky, do you follow Best Fan St. Louis on oh, Twitter? Oh, of course. I'm about to say, I was like, if you're not doing that for what you're trying to get there, <laughs> that's, that's a What's the Twitter following. account? Best Fan St. Louis. It's a uh, 
the, the guy compiles all of the best, and by the best I do mean the absolute worst, of uh, any kind of reaction that Cardinals fans have to anything. I feel like this is something that I don't follow, but I should. You should be following it. I, I would absolutely Best recommend Best Fans St. Louis, pretty popular account, nearly 35,000 followers. Yeah. I'll add yeah. one. Okay. Scroll you back should, through that should. and see uh, what's what. Yeah. Is it primarily fans of other teams that follow this? No, it's all the Cardinals fans who claim no, no, to be no, the, the best fans in baseball, but say they, things they like, it, yeah. yeah, we no, hope. But I'm saying, you misunderstood other teams' fans that yes. follow the account. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Like when the Giants eliminated the Cardinals in 2014, there were a lot of references to, you know, the kind of lifestyles that are lived out in San Francisco on that Twitter feed. So, mm. so like the guy that says MLB wanted them to win anyway, we had no chance. That's pretty tame. It gets better. Absolutely embarrassing. This is why St. Louis Blues will always be the most liked St. Louis team. I am ashamed to be from St. Louis tonight. Bleep you. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting Wow. Yeah. Mm. Uh hi Rippy. What's up? What's shaking on a Wednesday? Not a whole lot. Just another day. Yeah. Another day closer to a, uh, a weekend football game. Ole Miss hosting Texas A&M on Saturday night. We are going to get in a little bit later this afternoon to uh, a discussion kind of what Saturday means. Could mean win or lose on uh, on Saturday night for, uh, for Ole Miss. Spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Mississippi State in the... Um, I don't know in the uh, the name of equal time. Maybe we'll even things out a little bit today. What was it, Borky? You said uh, there was that one guy yesterday who demanded equal time, and today he'll get it. Yeah, he's going to get it today. The uh, I can't. I shouldn't say that. He's a listener of our show, and I'm going to be nice today. But yeah, we're going to go. give him what he was asking for. All right. So that's coming up a little bit later. Ryan Brown will join us in the five o'clock hour from WJOX in Birmingham. Just a few minutes from right now. Uh, about eight minutes from now, Deuce McAllister will join us. We will talk about another win for the Saints when Drew Brees is coming back and what the future looks like for this New Orleans team that has been able to just kind of keep on rolling and win in some different types of uh, of ways. We'll dive a little deeper into Nats Cardinals as the Washington Nationals go to the World Series for the very first time, punching their ticket last night. With a victory, Astros over the Yankees. Today's game has been delayed because of rain. And when I say delayed, I mean delayed by 24 hours. They're going to turn around and play tomorrow. We'll then play on Friday and then we'll not have an off day. They will travel, I guess, after the game on Friday night to Houston to play, if necessary, Saturday and Sunday. Mississippi State has finally released its baseball schedule. And boy, howdy, week two. The first two weeks of the college baseball season in the state of Mississippi, uh, they kind of grab your attention. I talked a couple of weeks ago when Ole Miss released its schedule about hosting Louisville for a three-game series to open the year. Well, if, if you're just a, a random baseball fan, like you just love college baseball, maybe you make your plans to be in Oxford on week one. Starkville is where you want to be in week two. Oregon State. Coming to Starkville for a three-game series. Hey, Dad, did you know about this? And you were holding out on us. I did not. I knew that I knew that they were hang, they were working out that series with Long Beach State, 
out there on the okay. West Coast. I did not know that the Oregon State series was coming up. And, uh, yeah, that is a that is a huge, huge thing. And like you mentioned, those first two weekends, we'll have plenty to talk about uh, the, in that time frame. Yeah, so Mississippi State in week two hosting Oregon State, and then they will turn around the following weekend, right? Am I looking mm-hmm. at that correctly? Yeah, Oregon State, and then a couple of midweek games at home, and then a travel day and a three-game series at Long Beach State. Oregon State, traditionally, really good. Long Beach State, traditionally good. Currently, not good. Not great. Not great I mean, at all. They have a lot, 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 of, lot of good games on the schedule as far as uh, non-conference. And then, of course, the SEC schedule. You know what you're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll dive into Mississippi State's baseball schedule coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Brooks Kepka, Borky, you say he is the villain that golf needs. Yes, the arrogance, the the uh, um, four-letter word that starts with an S talking that you get headlines and people talking about golf because there's some bad boy now is exactly what the sport needs. Okay. What did Brooks Kepka say from... Is it Korea where they're playing this week? Yeah, he was South Korea. He was asked about the rivalry between he and Rory McIlroy, and his response was, "I've been on tour five years. He hasn't won a major since I've been on tour, so I don't know what kind of rivalry you're talking about." Who? He's he's not telling. No lies detected untruth. there. Yeah, <laughs> no lie detected. Big trade yesterday in the NFL. Got a couple of first-round picks that are headed to Jacksonville in exchange for Jalen Ramsey. We'll give you the uh, the details. On this day in sports history, pretty big day in Major League Baseball's history. That is presented by Acoustic Wave, and it's coming up at the end of the 4 o'clock hour. Your Pearl River Resort pick of the day coming along this afternoon and uh, a whole lot more. What are you going to do today so, for that? Like NBA preseason? Mm. I think that's all you got. Sunbelt game. Oh, there is? Okay, there you go. Dude, we've got a Sunbelt game tonight. You do have a bunch of NBA preseason games. Memphis at Oklahoma City. San Antonio at Houston. There, there are actual lines on these games, too, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. There was li- Like I said, there was lines on the Little League World Series. 12-year-olds. Where, where do you have to fall in the degenerate category to bet NBA preseason? It's worse than NFL preseason. Hey, you it's remember above uh, Little League World Series? <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yes, that's fair enough. You remember last year in the uh, the NCAA tournament how good Purdue was and how much fun Carson Edwards was to watch? He ended up being the thirty third pick. Went to the Boston Celtics. He hit uh, he had eight threes in the first half last night. A little bit of a uh, a value pick for the uh, Celtics outside the uh, outside the first round. So a bunch coming up, but our buddy Deuce McAllister will join us coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That is Mississippi Farm Bureau. Deuce is coming up next. SEC Basketball Media Day happening today in Birmingham. All 14 teams, coaches, a couple of players from each school represented. I got my uh, college basketball yearbook in the mail yesterday from uh, the the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. So there's a sign that college basketball is close, but it is not here yet. We are dead center 
in the middle of uh, college football season and also a, a fun year so far in the NFL, especially if you are a New Orleans Saints fan. This guy is Deuce McAllister. He's also the color analyst on the Saints Radio Network. Joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Deuce, kind of interesting looking at the uh, at the Saints this year because there's been such a reputation for offense kind of through the years, and especially with Drew Brees as the quarterback and all of his prolific passing ability. But right now, it, it feels to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that the story of this team is what they're doing on the defensive side. It's definitely uh, what they're doing on the defensive side. I mean, just because it's been a long time since they've been this dominant. Now, they had a stretch last year where they were this dominant, uh, but the offense had exploded for so many games. And so for the defense to kind of hold its own towards the end there, it's why that offense kind of figured it out with, with some injuries, et cetera, uh, I think more more people are taking notice just because Drew isn't available. And so I think that's the biggest thing. But, Richard, I want to talk about SEC basketball, man. You, you, Ole Miss picked eighth, State picked seventh. Do you think it's too low? Uh, or, 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 we walked or through that pre- too high, not, maybe not low enough for both of those teams. No, I, I think Ole Miss is probably a couple of spots low, and Mississippi State might be one place low. I really think both of them, and I forgot how big of a basketball guy you are, but both of those teams to me are NCAA tournament teams this year. Oh, no, I think both are NCAA tournament teams. I mean, obviously injuries will play a part for both teams, but that's really every team, you know. Uh, but I, I just think, you know, I don't know if you, you would pick Alabama and then you look at some of the turmoil – that even LSU, I think both of those teams are picked ahead of Ole Miss and State. And so, hey, look, I get, I get Kentucky, I get Florida. Uh, the, those are those, those teams will compete for probably Sweet 16, Elite Eight status. But I mean, you know, I just think both of those teams, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, are probably a little bit uh, high. You know, at least probably two spots um, too high. You know what's interesting to me? We were going through some of this yesterday, and I was looking at where Tennessee is picked and where Auburn is picked. I think Auburn's picked to finish fourth and Tennessee fifth. You start looking at what those teams lost from a year ago, and I admittedly don't follow basketball recruiting as close as a lot of people do. Tennessee loses Jordan Bone, Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, and Kyle Alexander, and yet they're picked fifth in the league. Auburn loses Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Horace Spencer, Malik Dunbar, and Chuma Okiki. From a Final Four team a year ago, that's a lot to replace for both of those teams. Well, and, and, and that's my point. And even when you look at it, I think, you know, you're, you're banking on, let's just say, elite, elite 100, 200 type kids that come in and have to make um, make plays for you right away. And I just think, you know, I think the grind at some point gets to some of those guys. Obviously, the talent will shine through. But I think the grind of the SEC gets to them a little bit. And so it's surprising um, some of the teams that are ahead of the, the, the Mississippi State as, as well as Ole Miss, and I think both of those uh, both of those teams have some talented pieces in place. All right, you got to take me back. I, I assume that you played high school basketball. We've talked about football and baseball through the years. W- where was basketball on your love list going uh, growing up? I loved, loved it, loved it, loved it, and so my my deal was two inches, maybe three inches taller. And that was a sport that I was going to try to, you know, make it to on the next level. But being a six-two point guard, that's that's tough in the NF, NBA. And you know, obviously, some guys have been able to do it, but I just saw an easier path on the other level. 
Did you have any basketball offers? I had some, but it was more lower, lower level. Uh, I mean, even before Coach um, Rob Evans uh, left to go to uh, what Arizona State, I was probably going to try to walk on, you know. And obviously, uh, you know, you look at Keith Carter and Susie say uh, even Michael White, Michael White, uh, uh, Raheem Lockhart, Jason Flanagan, all those guys. We would get together and just play. And so for me. No, I knew my game was going to be defense. That's, that's what I was going to have to be. I got it with lockdown and play defense and, you know, be able to get some steals and, and, and some jump baskets in that sense. Uh, but, hey, look, that's what I was going to have to do just considering the height that I had. I, I knew I could be an explosive player uh, just because I knew I could, you know, I could jump with some of the best other guys. Well, here's what I'm thinking back to. I'm thinking about you and, you know, in football shape and the possibility of banging around with Anthony Boone. Down in the the low block, definitely not something that I would have loved to have done consistently. Uh, but Boone was so wide. I mean, Boone his shoulders. He he, he was going to be able to knock you out. And so me being a little guy, I would have had to try to get the ball once it's in the air. I mean, I w- I was not going to be able to bang with him very long. All right, dude. Somebody sent me a uh, a message on Twitter that said Deuce was a soccer star at Morton. That you won a state championship in soccer. True statement. Didn't win a state championship. I did win a rec championship in soccer. Uh, we, we didn't have a, a state championship team, but I did win a rec team. I played uh, select over in Jackson, NASO, which is now, I think, the Chicago Fire, or used to be the Chicago Fire, uh, Northeast Soccer Club. I loved it. Uh, but even then, back then, you know, there was no MLS for us. Yeah. Uh, it was either going over to Europe or you were going down to South America. And, you know, for kids from low Mississippi, I didn't like those odds. So um, once once I had to kind of decide, okay, it's going to be football in the fall and you can't play soccer, my love for the game obviously was still there, but I just couldn't play it um, consistently. I had to really focus on football during the fall. Okay, so, you know, we don't talk talk a lot of soccer. I mean, unless it's a World Cup year and, you know, then we talk about it a little bit. And this debate inevitably comes up. If soccer were as popular in the United States as it is in the rest of the world and our best athletes were not playing basketball or were not playing football or baseball but were focused on soccer, would the United States be the dominant power in soccer in the world or no? Well, we just we just lost last night, what, 3 nothing to Canada. I think we hadn't lost. I mean, we hadn't won a true road game, I think, in two years, maybe three years. When you talk about the men's soccer, so right now we're we're hurting. I mean, because we don't really—they've done a better job of development, but we don't—you don't—you don't get the the athlete that the other world, as far as around the world, gets. So they they do go play the other sports here in the United States, just because I don't want to say it's an easier route, but it's probably something that they're more—they um, they can obviously afford, and it's more something that they can play. And it's—you uh, you just don't have those athletes in soccer like you do across the world. I don't even know what we're doing here. Deuce McAllister, well, college basketball <laughs> analyst, former soccer star, uh, and and banging in the low block with uh, Raheem Lockhart and, and Anthony Boone. Let, let me ask you one Saints question, if you don't mind. Go ahead. When's Drew coming back? 
if it's up to Drew, Drew would play be playing right now. I mean, he he has really, really pushed. Yes, he's he's throwing the NFL football now. I know he posted a video, I guess, about a week or two ago of him throwing a Nerf ball, but he's throwing an NFL size football now. And you know, the, the the question is the strength and how much velocity he has on that ball. So if it's up to Drew, he would be back already. But you know, as far as the team is concerned, they're going to err on the side of caution. If there is a certain number of bullets left in the gun for Drew Brees at this point in his career, is there a scenario where this injury, this season, and kind of how it's played out with Teddy could be some sort of a blessing in disguise? Somewhat a blessing in disguise, but he is so competitive. And, I mean, obviously this is just something that happened. I mean, and he, he even struggles with, him on the sideline not being involved he still goes to practice he's still involved in the game planning but obviously it's for Teddy and not Drew so he will be fine as far as Millie you know the question becomes okay is he seeing it like he normally would you know is he hesitating on some of the throws getting some of that rust off will be the biggest thing for Drew but I mean it's it's a it's a blessing in a sense just because you're not taking the hits and your team is still 4-0 and without you but I mean he wants to perform he wants to go and play Last thing, some guys get a great big contract and then their production tails off a little bit. It's like, okay, they got to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's been anything but the case for Michael Thomas. What is it about him that, that kind of drives him? He competes. He competes in practice. He competes in the walkthrough. He wants to show that he is one of the elite and one of the best receivers. So he hadn't changed as far as that. And I think his preparation and how he competes in practice, it just carries over in the game. Great stuff, man. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm not interested in the uh, the Saints stuff. I am, and I know tons of our listeners are. But you're best when we go off on, like, tangents. That That's what I love. we got to do that more often. Not a problem at all. Thank you for having me on, as always. You're the man, Deuce. Thanks, bud. All right, thanks. That's Deuce McAllister. He is the radio analyst for the New Orleans Saints. He was a star at Ole Miss as a running back. He was a really good baseball player. Apparently he was an elite junior soccer player and uh, maybe an aspiring college basketball analyst on uh, radio or television. And an all-around good dude on top of that. Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com. Go with the home team. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Fun conversation with uh, Deuce McAllister just a little while ago on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Uh, you can text the show, ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. 7-4 last night. The Washington Nationals win it over the St. Louis Cardinals. Rippy, they scored seven in the bottom of the first inning and then just kind of held on the rest of the way. Patrick Corbin gets the win, went five innings, struck out 12. Dakota Hudson takes the loss, just a third of an inning. And then um, Hudson for uh, Washington. Daniel Hudson got the uh, the save at the end of the ball game. A little bit of drama at the end. I guess it was in the eighth inning when the Cardinals loaded the bases, couldn't score. Is that seventh or the eighth? I didn't watch much of this. I had some other stuff going on, but it should be an interesting World Series. The Nationals getting a week to set their pitching. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't have worked out any better. Game one of the World Series is next Tuesday night. 
Um, and it's going to be on the road regardless. So the, the, the Nats are going on the road to either Houston or New York. But with that rotation and a week to get ready, you almost, I mean, from a pitching standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world and you're excited about it. But with the way they've been swinging the bats or swung the bats in this particular series, you almost wonder if they'd rather just kind of roll right into the World Series. Probably. I mean, but they'll do some sim games and some different stuff. I think they'd probably take the pitching rest over anything else. Yeah, uh, I guess so. What went wrong for the Cardinals? They're not as good as the Nationals are. Okay. I mean, really not even close. I mean, the Cardinals had a good year, but like they were probably the third most talented team in the division. They benefited from the Brewers... Pitching underperforming in the Cubs just having kind of all sorts of issues, whether it be injuries, whether it be some hitting. But, I mean, they had a good year, like not to discredit it, but they probably weren't even as good of a team as the Braves were. And so that team wasn't really World Series caliber. I think it was sim- just that simple. I mean, they didn't have a – they had like two hits, three hits in the first two games. If Atlanta had been in the uh, the NLCS instead of St. Louis, would this series have played out any differently? It may have been longer. I probably would have still favored the Nationals, though, just because of the front-line pitching, but I don't know. Maybe. What about the pitching going into the LCS? I- I'm sorry, going into the World Series. If if you end up with a uh, a matchup that's the Astros against the Nationals... Is there a pitching advantage one way or the other? I mean, the combination of Verlander and Garrett Cole and Zach Greinke versus Scherzer and Patrick Corbin and who am I leaving out of the rotation? Strasburg. Strasburg. I mean, and never mind, Annabelle Sanchez took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably still lean the Astros, but it's splitting hairs. I would. Th- I mean, I don't know. It's close. So it's a su- subjective argument, but I'd probably lean the Astros. It's more more entertaining World Series: Nats against Astros or Nats against Yankees. I mean, you probably get more runs in Nats Yankees, I would think, but I would say equally, just because I mean, it's kind of a wash in the American League. So yes, both teams are really good. Both teams are dominant in different ways, but I don't know. Probably Yankees just slightly, but I think the Astros are probably a better team. Speaking of the Yankees, the Astros win yesterday 4-1. to They get a uh, first-inning home run, second batter of the game from Jose Altuve. It was a solo shot, made it one to nothing. They added a home run in the second inning when um, Josh Reddick went deep, made it 2 to nothing. That would be enough. Uh, they would add two runs in the top of the seventh to make it 4 to nothing. Yankees got a solo home run from Glaber Torres in the bottom of the eighth. 4-1 to was the final. Garrett Cole... Uh, once again, he has now been a winning pitcher in 19 consecutive appearances. Not decisions, but 19 consecutive appearances, he has gotten the winning decision. Is that right? Or is it 19 consecutive decisions have been wins? I'm not familiar with what stat you're speaking of, but I mean, he is the best pitcher on earth and the hottest pitcher on earth right now at the same time. So Severino is not. Great yesterday. It wasn't terrible. It lasted four and a third. Um, what do you guys want to see? Yeah, Borky, what do you want to see in the in the World Series? I'd probably rather see the Yankees, if we're being honest. Okay. Because they've got name. I'm just I'm beyond a casual baseball fan. I don't hate the sport. I like to, you know, say it's boring just to especially get a rise out of Rippy, but 
Um, I'm a very loose, casual baseball fan. And the Yankees have more names that I know. And maybe that's an indictment on me. But I want to see six foot six, 275 pounds walk up to bat. That, that's, and so I'd ra- that's who I'd rather have as a very casual sports fan who's going to watch every World Series game because you kind of feel like you have to. I want to see Aaron Judge. I want to see Stanton. That, that's who I want to see on the biggest stage. That's yeah. that's very shallow, I know, but it, just as a big outsider, that's who I'd prefer to watch. Hey, Dad, which is more likely to get you to tune, tune into the World Series? Nationals against the Yankees or Nationals against the Astros? The Yankees. The Yankees are, are definitely one. Being a Giants fan, you know, the three World Series they won, they beat the Rangers, the Tigers, and the uh, the Royals. I always felt sort of cheated that they never got one against the Yankees or the Red Sox. I always wanted to, because that to me is sort of the standard, right? Those were those were the two best, you know. I would say the Red Sox are the best franchise, obviously, but at that time, and when the, the Giants were winning, they were they were right there. And the Yankees are the Yankees, so yeah, I would definitely rather see the pinstripes in there for sure. Yeah. Plus, I'm your friend, and... Richard. I want you to be happy. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's nice of you. Um, I don't know at this point. How likely it is. I mean, it's just so impressive the Astros are. And, I, I mean, I want to believe. I mean, there obviously is a lot of baseball left in this series. It's only two games to one. It just feels like there's no weaknesses, and now you're about to flip that uh, that rotation. Obviously, Zach Greinke, because of today's game being rained out in the Bronx, uh, Masaharo Tanaka, who pitched really, really well in game one, is going to come back and throw game four on regular rest, and probably a pitching advantage there for the Yankees against Grinke, who's not been very good in a couple of playoff appearances so far this year. But after that, hmm. Yeah, probably, but they were probably going to have to use someone other than Grinke if they went today, and then like the rain allowed them to use someone else. Which the plan for the Yankees was to go bullpen day-to-day. Right. I don't think either team announced a starting pitcher as of like 10 o'clock this morning. Probably somewhat weather-related. Did you see Mike Francesa said that the commissioner told him himself that he was going to cancel the game today, so Mike cashed in on that name drop after they canceled the game today. What are the odds that actually happened? That um, Rob Manfred told Mike Francesa that he was going to cancel the game early. said this yesterday. Well, Francesa had great seats to the game yesterday. Was he there? Yes, he was, in great seats. I saw Jimmy Pitaro sitting on the first row, uh, the uh, president of ESPN. I'm sure he and Mike are friends. But anyway, so... <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, yeah, I don't know who it's more of an advantage for. I mean, the Astros not having to use anyone other than those three seems like a bit of an advantage, but I guess it lends itself well to the Yankees, too. Borky, you like the one Yankee fan who was into it yesterday? <laughs> that poor guy! I, and everybody's sharing that video uh, like like he's the jerk. It's like, no, everybody sitting around him is a jerk. It's the ALCS. It's a home game. It's a close game. And he's the only person in his section that is actually on his feet or making any kind of noise while people joke and film him. Like, what kind of loser are you? Yeah, film the guy behind your shoulder. Be discreet because uh, God knows you can't take the confrontation if he notices you and laugh at him while he's trying to cheer on his team. I I hate those kind of people. Stand up or shut up. To be fair, maybe I'm wrong. It seemed like the guys, I don't know, we may have seen different videos because I'm sure there are multiple people filming it, but the two guys that I saw filming it were actually, like, I could only tell by the looks on their face, but they seemed like they got a like a 
real amusement out of the guy. Like maybe less po- poking fun of him and maybe more so like look at all these people around us. I don't know. I didn't catch the drift that the guys filming him that I saw were making fun of him. But, yes, I definitely agree that the people around him are the issue. Yeah. He's like, well, you pay for these tickets in the first place. I mean, it's, it's the American League Championship Series. Get up. <laughs> I mean, Get up. He had a point. It's not wrong. Not not if you watched the game at Nationals Park, not if you watched the game at Minute Maid. Uh, and look, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to cheer about yesterday, if we're being honest. I wish I'd been able to see what was actually going on in the game at that point. Like, were they between any? That could have been while the umpire change was yeah, happening, exactly. for all we know. <laughs> but he at least didn't make it sound like it. All right, how about this thread from Jeff Passan, who uh, covers Major League Baseball and covers it quite well. Game four of the ALCS has been postponed. The fallout is going to be awfully interesting. What's certain, Masahara Tanaka and Zach Grinke will pitch on full rest in Game 4. That certainly helps the Yankees. Less certain, when do both teams deploy their bullpen game? He gets into more detail. We'll give that to you when we come back because there are a bunch of different potential scenarios on the horizon of what the rest of this series could look like based on a single rainout. So no Major League Baseball tonight, but you do have college football. Tell you who's playing when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. A little Sunbelt Fun Belt tonight. Troy in South Alabama. A little, that's a little college football that is coming your way tonight. Does that grab you, Borky? Uh, it might. 7 o'clock, ESPN 2. If I mean, we were talking about right. this in March or April or May or June or July, you'd be like, give it to me. Exactly. So, yeah, I'll put it on. We got last-minute stuff to do, so it'll be a really good background thing. Tomorrow night, Louisiana-Arkansas State. That's on the ESPNU at 6.30, ESPN at 8. That actually might be a pretty good game. 1-5 UCLA at Stanford? Ugh. <laughs> Sanford's a seven-point favorite. I mean, UCLA is one and five, but in their one, they scored what sixty-two points and beat Washington State fifty in the second half, and, and trailed by thirty-something. Yeah. Yikes! You've got Chiefs Broncos tomorrow, though, to offset that ugliness. Is that any better? Probably not, but the the Chiefs are sitting a a bunch of guys. And so maybe it could be interesting. They've also lost two straight, both at home. Yeah. I don't think it turns into three, though. Probably not. You ever had a bad day at work? Sure you have. The rules have changed since Leanne Walker last played a competitive round of golf. She found out the hard way. Last time she played competitively, 2008. She's now in North Carolina in the real estate business, but she is playing in the LP, Senior LPGA Championship at French Lick Resort in Indiana. It's supposed to be a gorgeous golf course. 85-74 wasn't going to make the cut anyway, but that was before she realized that players no longer can putt with their caddies having uh, been standing directly behind them to line them up. She had to add 42 penalty shots to her first round, turning that 85 into a 127, and 16 more penalty shots in the second round, 
turning her 74 into a 90. She said, I may have made the Guinness Book of World Records, which wasn't the idea when she decided to play. She split time between the LPGA Tour and the Symmetra Tour, thought it would be fun to compete again, had a bunch of friends, heard French Lick was a great golf course, chance to catch up with a lot of people. Since she retired in 2008, the sport has gone through its most comprehensive rules overhaul that went into effect this year. One that caused the most problems on tour was caddy alignment. Rule 10.2b says caddies no longer can stand behind players as they prepare to hit a shot unless players back away after the caddy is no longer behind them. Walker knew to take a penalty drop from knee level but did not know the caddy rule. Here's what she says. When I played my first round, my caddy lined me up, and I did not reset. I did not realize I was violating any rules. Played the first round, and neither of her playing partners partners noticed the mistake. In the second round, they did. Her partners, Laura Ball and Laura Shanahan-Rowe, she says, they made me aware of it on 14 or 15, and I called a rules official to ask what to do. They had me continue playing so they could have a conference on the violation and what I needed to do. She said, or, uh, maybe the most amazing part of this is that she was able to remember which holes and how many times her caddy was behind her without starting the process over. 21 violations in the first round, each penalty two shots, eight in the second round before she was made aware of her mistake. She would have missed the cut by just one shot without the penalties. Is what can you do at this point? It was my fault for not knowing the rules. I don't have anyone to blame but myself. Big lesson learned. 127.90. Goodness. She said, because it was a DQ and I wasn't injured, I wasn't going to withdraw with an injury. That was my score, and everyone gets to see it. So she finished out. She added every score on every hole. The scorecard from the first round featured six nines, an eight, and four sevens. She also had a four, a birdie, on the 18th hole. <laughs> That's a tough day at the office, Borky. At least she ended well. Makes you yeah, want to come 18. back. Yeah. She's 127. Been there. Um, how does nobody mention that to her? What if her playing partners didn't like her? They just kind of let her do it. Yeah, whatever. She's not going to win anyway. Yeah. Didn't you tell me you were a little selective with the rules enforcement of your playing partners in junior golf? I mean, like every by the six hole, most of the time I'd get some kid ask him if he cared if I he used tobacco products. I'm like, nah, man, do what you got to do. Didn't you tell me that there was somebody that had like a hot bud heavy in his golf oh, bag? Oh, uh, that no. So we. Had, there were a handful of schools to where they didn't. They had a golf team, but it was comprised of kids wanting to get out of school. And so when you had a kid that was going to shoot 140 anyway, he should kind of let him do what he wants. Yeah, just whatever. You can roll it around a little bit. We did have a kid shoot a 150 with the double par stroke max. Do that math. Ooh. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Streaming online with you. In the Renaissance Bank studio. More coming up. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Feel wrong for talking too soon. It just takes forever. Yeah, and it's even cut out some, too. 
You didn't cut out enough. I know. It's like I'm just kind of waiting. Hey, that dun dun dun. It's coming. Maybe. Eventually. Jeez. Here we go. Right here. Wednesday, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online, supertalk.fm. Shows brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. I've been telling you for years, literally like seven years, to check out the website, mslandbank.com. They're the presenting sponsor of this show, and normally the reason I direct you there is to find a branch location near you or to grab the phone number to give them a call or find out all the services uh, that they offer. Uh, if you've got land financing or refinancing needs, if you are in North Mississippi. But today, and really for the rest of this month, I am directing you to their website for an entirely different reason. You can do all those other things. You can find their locations, you can find the contact information, and you can figure out all the different kinds of loans and services you can get. But now, through the 29th of October, there's a different reason for you to go to mslandbank.com. And that is to enter the child in your life that is between the ages of 5 and 16, enter them for the chance to win the hunt of a lifetime. Enter their name and uh, and your name and your email address and your phone number and give your kid between the ages of 5 and 16 the chance to win a lifetime Mississippi sportsman's hunting license They'll never have to buy a hunting license in the state of Mississippi again. And the choice of a fully funded duck hunt in Tunica or a fully funded quail hunt in West Point or a whole bunch of hunting gear, swag, items, supplies, apparel, etc. Really cool opportunity. And all you have to do, again, is go to mslandbank.com Enter your child's first and last name, your first and last name, your email address and phone number, and click Submit. It's the hunt of a lifetime for someone who is between the ages of 5 and 16, courtesy of Mississippi Land Bank. I had two or three people text me yesterday during the show. They go, hey, what was that website again? How do I do this? My 11-year-old son heard you talking about that and wants to enter. So that's how you do it. MS landbank.com mississippi land bank where they know the lay of the land let's go back to this mississippi state baseball schedule teased it at the beginning of the show here's what you've got week number one by the way you don't watch the bulldogs in the fall you can still do that and play the raging cajuns well no they've already done that now i've got one more against uab coming up though. that's uh, right it's coming so they play their fall world Sunday. series and this coming Sunday, you can travel to Birmingham to watch it. Never mind. Playing at UAB this Sunday. I was behind on the schedule. It's all right. Let's fast forward to February. Valentine's Day season opener, 4 o'clock against Wright State. Yeah. Play the Wright State was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's year. a good program. Yeah, beat Ole Miss, beat Oklahoma State in non-conference last year. It looks like they were just a, in a one-bid league, that, and they didn't yep. win their conference tournament. They won 42 games. Horizon League, I think. Does Could that sound be. right? Sure. 
Yeah, actually it does. Yes, it is the Horizon League, which they're usually projected to win. Samford in a midweek game and then a three-game series in week two with Oregon State. The Beavers rolling into town, 4 o'clock on Friday, 2 o'clock on Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday. That's a really fun series. Yeah. That's, that, that is a, a marquee kind of series, the kind of stuff you don't get a whole lot of in college football, two of the top powers playing you know true road games. I feel like you're getting more of this in college baseball because pretty much everybody's yeah. willing to play at least one good tournament or one good series, at least one, before yeah. the start of conference play. The way they've done RPI now, man, road games against good teams, they just, it just doesn't kill your resume and it enhances it in, in reality. So, you know, even if State were to, you know, Oregon State, if they lose a couple of games down in Starkville, that's going to end up being a boost for them by the end of the year as opposed to maybe playing, you know, Southern Oregon or whoever at home. Um, I'm assuming you've done all the uh, requisite digging and reporting to know the answer to this question. Is there a return or a return trip to Corvallis the following year? I have not done that requisite reporting or investigation, but I would go out on a limb and say, yeah. I'll tell you what, while we're doing this, I'll, I'll shoot a text off. Thank you. Texas Southern, Alcorn State, three-game series at Long Beach State. So they uh, get a West Coast team coming to the Southeast and then head to the West Coast. Southern Miss in a midweek game. Quinnipiac mm-hmm. is the final non-conference opponent before Mississippi State rolls into conference play. One thing I, I think is a little interesting about the schedule early after the Oregon State series, Mississippi State will play on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and then travel across the country and then play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then after they play Quinnipiac, once again, we'll play Tuesday, Wednesday before rolling into SEC play. So, yeah, a couple of five-game weeks in the first four weeks of the season. Yeah. First five weeks. Quinnipiac was a tournament team last year as well. Yeah. They won their uh, whatever tournament. I don't know what conference they're in, but they won their conference tournament to get in. was sent to Greenville. Did did you see them? Weren't you at Greenville last year? No, no you were at East Carolina Super Regional. Okay, Super Regional. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. they they beat East Carolina game one of that. Is that the region, Northeast so. Conference? Ah, uh, sure. Somebody's going to have to check me on that. Yeah, that's something to be checked out on. All right, here's what you need to know about Mississippi State's SEC schedule before we do it week by week. What teams are they missing? The they Mississippi missing... State... Bulldogs do not play Georgia, they right. do not play Florida, and they do not play Tennessee. Right. That's a pretty dang good draw. Yes. Um, you Arkansas, avoided t- two of the big three there, yeah. Yeah. Arkansas to open SEC play in Starkville. Mm-hmm. Road trip to Baton Rouge in week two. Kentucky at home in week three. Road trip to Auburn in week four. Super Bulldog weekend, Ole Miss, April 9th, 10th, and 11th. That is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That is Easter weekend. That is Easter weekend. Uh, Road trip to South Carolina. Home series with Texas A&M. Road trip to Alabama. Home series with Missouri and a road trip to Vanderbilt. Mississippi State does not have consecutive home weekends 
nor do they have consecutive road weekends for the entire 10-week stretch of SEC play. That's interesting. That's unique. Usually you have... Do what now? What a way to finish the season, going up to Vanderbilt to to close it out. JT Ginn versus Kumar Rocker on a Thursday night? I'm in for that. Yeah. You know, normally you have... You've got back-to-back home games or home series at some point, but also back-to-back road series to balance it out. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good schedule. Yeah. I mean, this is the schedule of a team that, if it takes care of its business, will will host a regional and probably be a national seed. they got to take care of that business, though. Well, yeah. I mean, like, they got to play the games. Yeah, they got they got to win enough of them, too. I mean, we're talking about Ole Miss – a couple weeks ago when their schedule came out and we said, gosh, they don't they don't have to win 40 games to, to be a host just because of how brutal their schedule was. State schedule I don't think is as bad, but at the same time, if this is a schedule that's set up to set you up to host regionals and super regionals. Yeah, Arkansas and LSU in the first two weeks of league play. It's not easy. I mean, you could... Re- you could put yourself into a tremendous position to win the West in the first two weeks of conference play. And, and conver- conversely, could dig could yourself be, an awfully deep hole. a big hole, yeah, exactly. You follow, though, Arkansas-LSU up with Kentucky and Auburn. Yeah. Super Bulldog weekend is Ole Miss. And that marks the halfway point. South Carolina, just not nearly as scary as they used to be. No. I don't think A&M's as scary as they used to be either. I mean, that Texas A&M team a year ago, they could really pitch it. With Asa Lacey yeah. and John Doxak- Doxakis. Yeah. And Lacey's going to right? hit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lacey's back. So. Did you mention the two games on the coast, by the way? I did not. Yeah, there's a... Let me find it again. March uh, 10th and 11th, State will play Louisiana Tech and Nickel State at MGM Park in Biloxi. So that is the weekend between, or the midweek between the end of non-conference play. Mm -hmm. So that's spring break week. So they're going to go play two games during spring break week on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and then we'll head back home to open conference play against Arkansas. Correct. That's a fun schedule. And say Dad pointed out, one that gives Mississippi State a pretty good opportunity to find themselves in the mix to be a host in the postseason. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. We'll be back. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Jeremy and Jackson sent us a message a few minutes ago when uh, we had the long intro to the song from The Who. He said, most people don't know the name of this song. I just responded, uh, to be fair, Baba O'Reilly is a strange name for song. <laughs> right? Yeah. Would you have would you have named it, Hey Dad? Yes. Porky, you loaded the song. I want to ask you the question. Rippy, I don't think I have to ask you the question either, do I? Probably not. Would you have gone with Teenage Wasteland or just I have no idea? No, I would have. I knew the song's not named Teenage Wasteland. I know the song. I probably could have gotten the name, but to be completely honest, for whatever reason, that name associates with Queen with me, and I don't know why. Yeah. You, you want me to believe that you could have come up with Babbo O'Reilly? I think I could have. It wouldn't have been the first try. Hmm. I should have phrased it differently, guys. I should have asked him the name of the song. I mean, you should have played it 
with I mean if you'd have played it with a trombone and a set of drums that you wear on your chest, then I'm probably not getting it. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. I thought about putting the uh the nominees up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame into the show at some point, but I figured the conversation would kind of go this way and it would fall flat. Mm-hmm. Who are the nominees? I can pull them up quickly. I know Notorious B.I.G. is one of them. Yeah, because that's very rock and roll. When I, when I think about rock and roll, I think about Biggie Just Smalls. automatically go to Biggie. Yeah. Automatically. Yeah, um, yeah that one just didn't uh, make a whole lot of sense to me. A couple of NFL stories. Are the LA Rams panicking? It kind of feels like it, doesn't it? I don't know. My first thought was when, when I looked at the um, when I looked at that trade last night. I thought, yeah, that's pretty good, pretty good acquisition. It makes that defense better. A defense that gave up fifty-five to Tampa Bay a couple of weeks ago. And Wade Phillips, by the way, said that this is what they're going to do with Jalen Ramsey. They're going to put him on an island with their opponent's number two receiver and just run like a cover two bracket coverage on their opponent's number one receiver. So instead of putting Ramsey on one and hoping that he can beat their one, they know that he can beat their two and put him on an island and just bracket cover number one receiver, and that's how they're going to run defense moving forward. That's an interesting strategy. Does anybody else do that? Not that I know of. They may do that, but not that I know of. I mean, back in the days of Revis Island, no way that guy was going to take that assignment. And to bring it back local, Marshawn Lattimore covers the best receiver on a given opponent. And does so quite well. Yeah. When you're talking about the best receiver on the other team, is that... I mean, it's a calculated risk because when you talk about bracket coverage, you're not talking about locking a guy down. So you're giving him a little bit more space to operate, I would think. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're bumping him at the line and letting him go and letting another guy picking him up. But, I mean, to me, the idea of bracket coverage means there's a little bit more room to move. And when you're talking about the elite of the elite in the NFL, is that a sound philosophy? We're about to find out. I guess we'll find out. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter because in the NFL they're so smart. But I'm surprised you just came out and said that. But if, if you're late to the story on this, the Jaguars sent Jalen Ramsey to the West Coast for first-round draft picks in 2020 and 2021 and also a fourth-rounder in 2021. There are a lot of analysts that said that price was too high for Jalen Ramsey. He joins two former Jaguars on the Rams, in defensive end Dante Fowler and quarterback Blake Bortles. Apparently he and Blake Bortles did not have the best relationship. Is that accurate? Well, he just liked to talk about how bad all of the quarterbacks were in the NFL. So Yeah. Including all his own. Th- yeah, all three of those guys were top five draft picks between 2014 and 2016. So it fills a big hole in the secondary for the Rams – and yesterday, or Monday, I guess it was, the Rams put Aqib Tlaib on injured reserve with a rib injury. They traded Pro Bowl cornerback Marcus Peters to the Baltimore Ravens 
for a linebacker and a fifth-round pick in the 2020 draft. So some moving pieces on the Rams, they're obviously not real pleased right now with uh, what their defense is and trying to make some moves to get better. Yeah, the the question, the, the panic question comes from the fact that the chickens are going to come home to roost on their contracts and salary cap here pretty soon. They have a lot of cap tied up in a handful of guys, and you've got to pay a couple more here soon, and they're going to have to make some deals and get rid of some guys, and now suddenly you don't have draft picks to offset these big contracts that you're going to give. So... Uh, like the, it's the same thing's going to happen to the Saints. The chickens are going to come home to roost on Alvin Kamara and Ryan Ramchek and all these guys. They're going to have to pay them soon, but they at least have their assets down the road that they can pick up some guys on rookie deals and offset the massive contracts. The Rams have now given up two first-round picks, and they're about to have to pay a bunch of guys. They may have to pick up some dudes on discount here in the next couple of years to offset the big contracts instead of going and drafting somebody. Who else has done this in recent years? The Browns kind of did the opposite of that. They offloaded everybody and stockpiled picks. The Saints did it a little bit, they did, but it seems yeah. to be working out. You know, the Saints, you know, they they traded away to to get Marcus Davenport. They they they've, they've got uh you know, they brought in DeMario Davis, they brought in a couple other guys and and it's, it seems to have worked out though. Because because the draft picks they have had have hit and it was a very yeah. win-now mentality because you've got a season or two at most left with Drew Brees, so that made more sense. What are you doing right now, though, if you're the Rams? Why are you giving up your assets when your team is still relatively young, your quarterback's young, your coach is young? Why are you doing this? Because they're in win-now mode also. But my question is, why do you have to be? You, you've got a setup in place right now where you're going to win for a long time. But now you're giving up future assets that'll make it harder down the road. We were talking with Deuce about this at some point last year, and and he made the point that you know there comes a time where you have to pay the piper. Somewhere along the way, you have to pay up and you have to have a down year if you go this route. But I'm just wondering if you can run the NFL like it's the world's biggest Ponzi scheme and just continue to mortgage your future. But push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out by trading future draft picks and then getting some in return. And can you do that in perpetuity? The Lakers are trying to do that in basketball. They have given up their entire future. I mean, all of it. They don't have one. It's win right now and we'll figure it out later. Jeff rolling on I-55, he says the Saints have had incredible drafts over the last four years. You're right about that, Jeff. They have drafted well, and to Haydad's point just a moment ago, those draft picks have hit. Uh, with regard to the Rams, as bad as the defense is, their O-line is atrocious this year. Golf with approximately two and a half seconds to get the ball off is not enough. Found that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list, by the way, if you want to hear it. Put it on me, Biggie, and who else? The the standard is to to get six out of this group: Pat Benatar, okay, Dave Matthews Band. Come on and hit me with your best shot, Borky. Depeche Mode, Doobie Brothers. I see what you did. Whitney Houston, Judas Priest, Kraftwerk, which is apparently a German band, MC Five, Motorhead, Nine Inch Nails, Biggie Smalls, Rufus featuring Chaka Khan. 
Okay. Uh, Todd Rundgren, Soundgarden, T-Rex, and Thin Lizzy. So about six, give or take, out of that group. All right, so Soundgarden gets in? Yes. Nine Inch Nails gets in? Maybe. Biggie gets in? He will. He probably will get in, yes. Pat Benatar's getting in. You think? I think. Is this like a first ballot deal, or is this, you know, fourth-year veterans committees involved? Who did you name right after Pat Benatar? There were like two or three names Dave right Matthews after Pat Benatar. Band, Dave Matthews Band. Dave Matthews and Depeche Mode. Dave Matthews Mode. is getting in. They'll get in, yeah. I don't know what Depeche Mode is, so. Depeche Mode or wow. Thin Lizzy? Hey, Dad. Uh, both of those are really good. You don't know what Depeche Mode is, really? Uh, uh, you kids. Um, if I had to bet, I would say Depeche Mode. I'm a big fan of Todd Rundgren, though. Uh, that's thanks to my dad. On all of his albums, he played every instrument on the album. Like, he toured with a band, but for the recording of the albums, he played every single instrument. Horns, piano, drums, guitar, everything. That's incredible. Tim and Tupelo says the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a joke. On what basis, Tim? Probably the fact that a notorious, didn't mean to use that word, a notorious rapper uh, is going to be inducted where they have like an R&B Hall of Fame and stuff like that. I don't know. Derek and Greenwood. How do you not know Depeche Mode? Interesting spelling you went with there, Derek, (laughs) but uh, nevertheless. Sports Talk Mississippi at the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Upon further review, I think Depeche Mode no go for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ooh. Just, yeah. Out of this group? Pat Benatar, Dave Matthews Band, Doobie Brothers, Nine Inch Nails, Soundgarden, Thin Lizzy. I think that's what somebody texted in. It's kind of hard to argue with that. But pretending like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is all rock and roll people. I mean, if Whitney Houston is actually a nominee, which she is, Whitney Houston's getting in. I'm just curious which Whitney Houston song it is that you think uh, falls into the rock and roll category. I mean, is there one? I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. After listening to one Depeche Mode song, I think uh, Whitney Houston's more rock and roll than them. I mean, oh, this is—I am—I am blown away that this has 166 million views on YouTube. Here, I'll fast forward a little bit. Dude, that's like classic 80s music right there. I mean, what? 166 million views on YouTube. It's very 80s, electro, easy, whatnot. Tim and Tupelo says that's like nominating ACDC for the Easy Listening Hall of Fame. I find it easy to listen to ACDC. I Will Always Love You is the heaviest song ever. (laughs) Kelso and Ocean Springs, no way they leave Whitney Houston out. DMB is the best. Oh, and go Nats. Jerry and Tupelo, it's not about rock and roll. It's about diversity. Jeff and Grenada, Roy Orbison, first person inducted into both rock and country halls of fame. 
Ooh. There's a hot take for you. Depeche Mode is better than Dave Matthews. Oh, man. I have to quit my job now. That's a... Um, Ooh. That's a take, all right. Robin Tupelo says Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. Okay, that's, a, it, that's a banger, though. That's a really good song. Sure. John and Hardiman says that Depeche Mode is tech, not pop. No, he said techno pop. We got well actually on on Depeche Mode. I didn't I didn't see that coming today. We have diverse content on this show. I like that. Yeah. Like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh did you hear what Will <laughs> Wade said today? He's going to offer you can somebody. Replay it on a wiretap if you don't. Let's say <laughs> I'm sure we could find it. When asked about, I'm sure there were seats. Whether he believed he would be here <laughs> this year. I felt good about things. Obviously, it was a difficult time, but I was always in communication with LSU. I was always in communication with our folks. Reading the story at uh, Kentucky Sports Radio, uh, she wrote, Now feels like a good time to remind everyone that LSU only suspended Wade after he refused to meet with officials. <sighs> well, Wade, quote, I felt like once we could uh, kind of get to the table with everybody that things would work out. Certainly excited to be here. Excited to be back. Excited to coach LSU and looking forward to doing that for a long time. Asked about what he knew about the current NCAA investigation. As you know, back in June, Yahoo Sports listed LSU as one of the six programs expected to receive harsh penalties from the NCAA over the scandal. Wade told reporters today he feels good about how he's run the program. Quote, Mm. I have no idea what the NCAA is going to do at this point, but we're very very comfortable and confident with how we've run our program. And I'm excited about this season and moving forward. <laughs> I'm starting to like Will Wade. I mean, the, the shamelessness to be able to say something like that, it, it cracks me up. Because he's lying. Everybody on that set knows he's lying. Everybody that was watching it knows that he was lying. But he said it anyway. I, I love it. The, he's shameless. And the NCAA is going to come in. Well, actually, probably not because they're AD by marriage, has a relationship with the head of the NCAA, so uh, to avoid awkward Thanksgivings, maybe it won't happen. But if the NCAA shoots them to the moon, he's getting fired, but who cares? It's not going to take away the millions he's already made, even though he's... Hey, Coach Wade, how did you handle having to sit out the postseason and watch your team last year? Quote, I watched on TV. I'm not a very good fan. I'm not a very good fan. I was yelling at the TV, it's tough. You always tell your guys you're going to be there for them, but it's something that because of the circumstances, you couldn't. You never like to let your players down, let your guys down. It was tough for me, but it's part of it. Now we're moving forward, and I'm looking forward to coaching this team, and we've got to get this team to the NCAA tournament. And that's all that really matters. It's the postseason. If and in a way hasn't been handed down by then. I think I will see LSU in Baton Rouge in November. So we're going to... Kind of an early look at uh, this LSU team. Anxious to see them. I did not do an LSU game last year. So, that'll be fun. If wiretap Will doesn't catch on, like that's the only good idea I've ever had. Like Student sections should be chanting that at him in t-shirts made. Hasn't taken off yet. Are college basketball student sections less creative than they used to be? 
The Duke one's the worst, believe it or not. Have you seen the the pictures that get sent out of the uh, chant sheets that they send to everybody? Like the chants are dumb? Oh, they're awful. And it's it, like the, the inside information that they dug about the players is stupid. Would you be good in a student section as like the yell leader, Rippy? Probably not. Mining the like off-the-radar information to really get into guys' heads when they're at the free-throw line? You'd be a good information gatherer, maybe not a yell leader. Well, but his one-liners are so good that, like, on the fly, you could come up with stuff and it'd be good. Just give him the information. I I can't picture him in a milkman uh, uniform. (laughs) I was thinking that, actually, after I used the term yell leader. I was trying to to imagine Rippy in uh, one of the milkman costumes at A&M. What about that for Halloween this year? You you dressing up for Halloween? Not a big Halloween guy. Uh, I like Halloween, I say that. Not a big costume guy. Hey, Dad, you could do a milkman outfit for Halloween. No. Do you recognize Halloween, it, hey, Dad? What? Do you yes, recognize Halloween? Mean? Okay. Yes, my house is decorated for Halloween as, as, as we speak. Is it? If I'm going to do a Halloween costume, I would shave my beard and go as Peter Griffin. <laughs> That'd be a good it's one. Pretty, that's actually pretty yeah. funny. I mean, it's not hard. I have a white button down. It's not hard to find some green pants, I would imagine. So not only hey, have the Tennessee Titans <laughs> benched Marcus Mariota, but they've now promoted Ryan Tannehill to starter. Tennessee Titans coach Mike Vrabel, desperately in need of a spark on offense, has elected to make a change at quarterback. Tannehill is the starter. It was first reported by the NFL Network. He's the former starter for the Miami Dolphins. Came in the third quarter against the Denver Broncos and led the Titans on exactly zero scoring drives. 13 completions for 144 yards. So he was 13 of 16 for 144. He did get the Titans into the red zone a couple of times, but uh, threw a pick and there was a turnover on downs. Is this an upgrade at quarterback? No, it's not. Why do you do it? Because I got to do something different because the Marietta thing's not working. It's an easy scapegoat. I have I, seen a couple of uh, NFL like film analyst guys. One of them, Jeff Schwartz, I've become a, a big fan of his. Uh, played all over the place in the NFL uh, at tackle. Say that a lot of Mariota's sacks this year are actually his fault that he's not moving in the pocket well and holding onto the ball too long and stuff like that. So even though Tannehill, talent-wise, isn't more talented than Mariota, he will take fewer sacks because his pocket presence is better than Mariota's, for whatever that I'm may be I'm not disputing worth. Jeff Schwartz because he undoubtedly knows football than me, more football than me, but I'm going to bet Tannehill takes a ton of sacks with this offensive on. Bet it doesn't drop off very much. You cut their sacks in half, they're still what? Like top half of the league? Yeah. So maybe not <laughs> as many as Mariota, which is good. That's not as many as or as bad as it was before. Still a decent bit, though. Offensive line's atrocious. Does Ryan Tannehill still look like a guy that Mike could break in half? Well, he's literally made of glass, as we learned in Miami. He looks like a guy that could break in half? Yeah. Like he's not your thick, stocky quarterback. Wrong? I don't know. I've never examined his physique that closely. I mean, that's just kind of the picture in my mind's eye, but if you want to make me sound weird for saying that, feel free. It'll be fine. <laughs> I 
am still impressed with the guy who was a wide receiver in college turning into an NFL quarterback. He was pretty good. He just couldn't stay healthy. Got snapped in half a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Is that because of his physique or just bad luck? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Ask Danny Cannell's dad. You are a doctor. Skinny? Not in that sense. Hmm. You're more of a PhD kind of. My diploma came to my doorstep last night. That was timely. Yeah. You only graduated like six months ago. Yeah, now it's official. What'd you do with it? Did uh, you pop it on the wall? I think I put it on the kitchen table. You didn't like put a thumbtack and stick it in the wall? No. Just forward it on to mom? I'll probably hand it off this weekend. Yeah, I would imagine that she would love to have it. Probably. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Kind of nerded out on Whitney Houston during the break. Her name comes up. I inevitably go back to the video of the uh, national anthem before Super Bowl 25. It's uh, 1992 in Tampa. The old some the big sombrero. That was uh, it was Giants Bills. Gulf War is the backdrop, and Whitney Houston delivered it. In my mind. The single most chill bump inducing version of the national anthem ever performed. That is a hill I will die on. Any arguments? Good. Not for me. Uh, I'm the only one no. old enough to remember it, so. I wasn't alive. <laughs> Jeez. Surely you've seen the video, though. Oh, you've heard it now. I've heard it. I heard it not too long ago. Also from me? Yep. Sorry. As in, like, five minutes ago. Oh, yeah, I thought you meant, like, previously before today. Nope. Yeah, Pretty good, wasn't it? Wasn't bad. You heard a better one? Not off the top of my head. I'll get back to you. Get back to me. You better come strong if you do, because there aren't many that can top that one. Who's the guy at the basketball game? Which one? Carl Lewis? Yeah. (laughs) And the Rockets, Red Clare. That was really, really bad. Roseanne you thought he had gone edition. through puberty at that point, but he had not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Keith Invaden says, that ain't rock and roll, though. No, I, I yes, I realize that we have diverted down a far different path than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But... He was pointing out that the national anthem is not rock and roll? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. Glad we got that one clear. Although out. Francis Scott Key may have been one of the early pioneers. <laughs> he had long hair. The, the Cornelison guy in Chicago that sings it at the Blackhawks game that, I mean, he kind of yells it, but the whole stadium sings with him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It doesn't get worse than what Fergie did in the playoffs last year. The Blackhawks guy is better with O Canada, though. Oh, he yeah. Really he brings the heat on that. that. Yeah. yeah. Is he Canadian? No, but when they, yeah, it's the NHL. So when they have Canadian right. teams, they play Canadian national anthem. Hmm. Here's one. Well, well played. Jimi Hendrix made the national anthem rock and roll. That's true. At Woodstock, no less, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Gaither Vocal Band does a great national anthem. That's not rock I, and roll. I will not just take your word for it. I will look it up. I like uh, Mac McAnally's version. He's done a couple of uh, national anthems at the Egg Bowl when it's been in Starkville. Yeah. A little accompaniment. Jimmy Buffett was so disappointing. That's no like the way. one Jimmy Buffett thing that I would like to pretend 
never actually happened. Because he Bookie, can't why actually. Do you hate Jimmy Buffett? I, no, I don't hate Jimmy Buffett. He just can't sing. He's like Neil Young. The music is not good because they're good singers. Was it Pink a couple of years ago at the national anthem who? No, no, it was Lady Gaga, wasn't it? Did Lady Gaga or Pink at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago that sang it with a sore throat and just crushed it? Uh, Keith and Vaden, I want to know when Rippy's voice is going to change. Probably Gracious. stuck with me for life there. <laughs> hey, Dad, you got a chuckle out of that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, if we get time for on this day, Borky, I think we need to do it, don't we? Yeah, we got time for it. All right. On this day in sports history, this moment in sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. No incisions, no scars. No downtime. Go back to work the very same day. Contact uh, Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com or give them a call, 855-563-6100. On this day, it sounded like this, Aaron Boone. His first at bat of the game. There's a fly ball deep to left. It's on its way. Boston won game one, 5-2. The Yankees evened it at a game apiece with a 6-2 win in New York in game two. Series goes to Boston. Yankees win 4-3, go up 2-1. Boston splits the series with a 3-2 win in game four. Yankees win game five in Boston, 4-2. They go back to New York. Red Sox even the series with a 9-6 win. And then in game seven... Bottom of the 11th inning. Mariano Rivera does not get the save. He gets the win. And Aaron Boone with a bomb in the bottom of the 11th. How about a walk-off winner in Game 7 of the 2003 World Series? That was on this day, October 16th, in Major League Baseball history. That's about as good as... As it gets. This day in sports history, brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. Check them out online, AcousticWaveMS.com, or give them a call, 855-563-6100. We'll be back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Check out that website and register your son or daughter to win the hunt of a lifetime. Find the official rules and the contest uh, details on the website, mslandbank.com, for a chance for your son or daughter to win the hunt of a lifetime. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked with our buddy Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. Brownie, what's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot, Richard. How are you? Everything good? I, I'm good. Glad to finally have some fall weather. It feels like uh, like football season. Um, 
Let's just jump right in. Auburn will play its first game on Saturday without Jatarvius Whitlow, Booby Whitlow, if you prefer. How much does that affect this team? Because he was the best running back by a long shot, I think, on this roster. Well, I think he was the only proven three-down SEC back, the only guy you play, you know, uh, and not have to rotate out. I, I honestly, you know, I think the backups, Cam Martin and Sean Shivers, are more feature, not feature backs, but more change of pace backs. They're not guys you can leave in there three downs in SEC play. I think the only proven guy there was Whitlow. Now, they've got some freshmen that, that everybody is big on, D.J. Williams. He's had seven carries. And uh, Harold Joyner, he's had four carries. And Gus Malzahn is very hesitant to play freshman. Now, that's it. He's got a freshman quarterback, obviously. But he is just – he's always kind of hedged towards seniority with his backs especially. So I, I think the conventional wisdom is Cam Martin will get the first crack at this thing. And honestly, you know, against Arkansas, I would imagine his numbers look okay. I just don't think long-term he's the guy. I, I think – you know, as long as Whitlow's out, you got to try to develop one of these younger guys into more of a three-down back. Is the best guess on a return for Whitlow the Georgia game? Yeah, I think that's probably safe. You know, they originally said four to six weeks. A week has passed now, so I guess you know, if if you're on the short end of it, he's only got three more weeks. But I would think realistically, and and I don't know, you know, even when he's back, I don't know if. Auburn is going to be able to run him immediately, you know, 23 to 25 times in a game, which is kind of what they've been doing with him before the injury. So, um, and, you know, that's that's kind of Gus Malzahn's thing. He loves to find a running back and stick with him. And, you know, he's been criticized for that a little bit. But it worked fine when it was Trey Mason and Carryon Johnson. Now, that said, he, he got Carryon Johnson a little bit banged up at the end of the year in um, 17, and it really hurt them because he wasn't available. He got banged up late in the Iron Bowl when the game was kind of in hand, and uh, he wasn't available for the SEC championship game. So it's kind of burned mouth on a couple times before this. Ryan, I, I try to not ever pigeon you whole into just talking about Alabama and Auburn stuff because I know you spent a ton of time studying and watching the entire SEC. So I'm a little curious of, of your perception, uh, your thoughts on, on what's happening in the Magnolia State. Uh, let's start with Ole Miss. They go on the road last week. Uh, they lose by 11 to Missouri. Uh, there, we've talked about it a lot. You know, three plays that were potential scoring plays, or three sequences that were potential scoring sequences for Ole Miss in that game. When you watch this Ole Miss team, what stands out to you? Well, what stands out to me, and it, I'll tell you, the kind of the confusion our callers. You know, look, we got Ole Miss and Mississippi State fans over here. We talk all the SEC. You know that, um, and and this is going to be true of both Mississippi schools. I think our callers are a little confused as to the, the, the why there's a quarterback controversy. Um, I think over here from the outside looking in, uh, it looks like Plumlee would be the guy for Ole Miss. And you may disagree with this, but I just think he brings – now, look, a lot of fans in this state only saw him play against Alabama. And, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of – they ran a glorified wing tee in that game, basically. I mean, it was just Plumlee left, Plumlee right, and he had a lot of success. I don't know that you could do that every week, but – I think a lot of fans around here, and I'm kind of with them, feel like he brings a dimension with his speed that, you know, you don't get to see a lot in this SEC. And it might be a change of pace enough that it, it gives Ole Miss a little bit of an edge. Yeah, it's interesting. Cole Kubelik and I talked about that on the on the sideline for the Vanderbilt game two weeks ago, and he said, look, man, he said, 
you, you can't teach what Plumley does. I just wonder if you go with that and deal with the deficiency in the passing game versus you know Corral, who's a better passer but certainly doesn't have that dynamic ability. I thought once they got into a little bit of a rhythm in the fourth quarter with using both quarterbacks that it actually worked pretty well. And it's like both of those guys do enough of their secondary skill set well or or well enough that you can kind of keep a defense off balance. I don't know if you can do that long term, but it feels like they might get through the rest of this year doing that. Well, you know, if you watch Florida LSU – I thought up until the middle of the third quarter, Mullen had a really good feel of how to interchange his two quarterbacks, Trask and Emory Jones. Yeah. But, and, and this is where it gets tricky. You know, you, you eventually you, you pull the trigger at the wrong time. So LSU scores to go up 35 28. They kick the ball. It's, I, gosh, I think there's three minutes to go in the third quarter. They kicked the ball back to uh, Florida, and uh, Trask had been playing very well, and Emory Jones starts the series, and they go three and out, and they never really recovered from that. LSU had the momentum the rest of the game. So, to me, that's the tricky part when you have the two quarterbacks is, you know, if you're pulling the trigger at the right time and you've got that rotation clicking, yeah, it's really hard to stop. But the minute you make the wrong decision at the start of a drive, it can really slow you down, and that's exactly what happened in Florida. You know, when when you talk about Corral and Plumley, though, there's just such a significant difference in arm talent. Now, speed, yeah, yeah. obviously, there's a significant difference, but but the difference in the ball coming out of the hand of Matt Corral, he's able to make throws that that Plumley just can't make physically. No, I mean, I think it's what you said. You know, it's kind of what they did against Alabama. Is you just, I mean, I, I call it a glorified wing tee. I don't know what else to call it, Richard. I mean, it's just kind of what they did. It's you know, let him freelance and, you know, throw just a little bit. They weren't going to trust him to throw a lot in Bryant-Denny Stadium against Alabama's defense in his first start. I don't blame him. Um, but, you know, let him use his best asset and his legs. And, you know, I don't know. It's I know it's it's a difficult situation. I kind of feel the same way about Schrader at, at Mississippi State. It seems like he brings an element that Tommy Stevens doesn't. Now, their passing is a lot closer, wouldn't you say? Uh, they're a lot closer in the, in the arm category than Corral and Plumley, I think. Yeah, I think Schrader's got plenty of arm strength, and we'll see if the accuracy comes. I was going to go there next with regard to Mississippi State. They go on the road, they lose to Tennessee. Um, you know, with the exception of one drive in the fourth quarter, looked really bad offensively, didn't scare you defensively. What do you see when you look at Mississippi State right now as they roll into a difficult sketch with uh, a stretch of the schedule? With uh, with LSU coming to town, then a trip to A and M, then they got to go to Arkansas on an open date before uh, Alabama rolls into Starkville. Well, I, I was I was disappointed for a couple reasons. Number one, coming out of the bye week, um, I, I thought you would get a little better out of state, and you may have the numbers in front of me. Kylan Hill didn't touch the ball enough. How many touches did he have Saturday? And eleven so touches I, I like, for thirteen yards. Yeah. yeah, man, you got and I know. Look, the yardage wasn't there, so obviously. Tennessee had taken the run away a little bit, but he's a guy you got to figure out how to get the ball in his hands. He's your best, maybe the best player on the whole team, but he's your best offensive player, I think. So you got to you got to figure out a way to get him the football. And and that you know coming out of a bye week that disappointed me a little bit with Mississippi State there, specifically not getting Hill the ball enough. When you look at the number on, on this game with LSU as an 18, 18 and a half, 19, 19 and a half, kind of depending on where you look. 
Is that enough points for this LSU offense that has been just absolutely dynamic? You know, it w- it would seem it's not, and I wonder if they're if they're playing classic trap game um, with Auburn on the other side for LSU. I wonder if they're looking at this as a trap game, road trip. You know, um, this team. Look, when they went on the road to Vanderbilt, um, I-, I think the thing that stood out most in that game for LSU was the fact that Vanderbilt scored so much on them, and that's not a very good yeah. Vanderbilt offense as we've, as we've seen. So. I don't know if they're just playing the road factor or if they feel like maybe this is a little bit of a trap game with Auburn on the other side. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. The way they have played this year, that did seem like a little bit of a skinny number, as big a number as that is. And, and you know what's interesting? If you go back and look at LSU and, and think about their non-conference games this year, Georgia Southern in years past might have been a clunker but a win. They might have laid an egg against Northwestern State and ended up winning by 14 or against Utah State, who was a pretty capable team Maybe a slow start in, against Northwestern State, but outside of that, LSU showed up ready to go every single week this year. Yeah, they have. I mean, I, you got to give Ed Orgeron credit. I think, and you know, Joe Brady apparently is is a miracle worker. I mean, he's the guy that's getting all the credit for this different team. But you know, I think right now, if the season were over, and it probably you know, unless something crazy happens, it's maybe this way at the end of the season. I think um, he's your coach of the year. I, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt that it's Ed Orgeron. I think he's done a tremendous job. And you're right; they haven't hit a hiccup yet. I mean, everybody in this state's already circling, you know, November 9th. And I don't. Yep. I'm not saying they'll hit a hiccup then. I'm just saying that that's the game everybody around here is looking forward to. Game of the century, part whatever part we're on now for Alabama and LSU. But um, that that's the thing that's impressed me the most is this offense has been very consistent. Uh, and it's the reason that Joe Burrow right now is the odds, you know, the biggest leader at least in, in the Heisman uh, campaign. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable. Ryan, thanks so much. All right, Richard. It's always fun, man. Y'all be good. Always good visiting with you as well. You'll forgive me for not getting to Alabama, Tennessee. The third Saturday in October doesn't have the same luster that has had in years gone by. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Appreciate Ryan Brown joining us from the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham. Always uh, good to visit with him. Sports Talk is on your radio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. You can always get it via a podcast uh, if you want to go back and listen or if you missed some of it along the way. Uh, we gave away a pair of Jason Aldean tickets yesterday. Let's do that again this afternoon. A chance for you to win tickets before you can buy them. Jason Aldean coming to the Bank Corp South Arena in Tupelo on March 7th. And if you are caller number six today at 888 8637 again, 888-808-8637, caller number six you will win a pair of Jason Aldean tickets. You will talk with Michael Borky. He will tell you what caller you are, and then he will move on to the next person. And if you're caller number six, you win that pair of tickets. And go. Enjoy. I'm sure the phones are ringing like crazy. Gave away uh, a pair of tickets to Ricky in Grenada yesterday. Sorry, hey, Dad, you are not eligible to win. My apologies. 
Shame. You can uh, you can buy your tickets Huge online when they become fan. available to the uh, to the general public. Uh, time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The F-150 is America's best-selling truck for the last 42 years. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Spent a bunch of time yesterday on Mississippi State. Let's talk a little about Ole Miss. Um, Rippy, kind of the general consensus among Ole Miss fans, among people that cover college football, et cetera, is that Ole Miss is an improving football team, that they're getting better, that the future looks like it could be bright. But with all of that said, at some point you got to win. And you've got to win in order to make all of that matter and keep, fans invested and excited can they win on saturday maybe we should start there can they sure i but again until they win a game that's they're in somewhat throughout the first two and a half three quarters i don't know i mean you got to see it first but yeah i mean it's certainly possible we talked about last week going to missouri the opportunity for kind of a signature win that was a good missouri team it wasn't a top 10 team nationally. Texas A&M comes into this game 3 and 3. Is the same thing kind of in play? Could this be a semi-signature win for Matt Luke and Ole Miss? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's probably a little better gauge cuz at the same time, I don't know what to make of A&M. All three of the games they've lost have been against teams that were in the top 8 at the time and then they've beaten Texas State, something called Lamar and Arkansas. So I don't really know what to make of them. They had, of course, a running back, what, Deshaun Corbin? Jayshon Corbin? Jayshon Corbin. And they haven't had much of a run game that's put more stress on Kellen Mond, who's been okay numbers-wise, and I think played fairly well outside of the game against Clemson excuse me, in the first half. So I don't really know what to make of them. I mean, they've, they've been okay defensively. They don't really have much of a pass rush, but... I mean, I think Ole Miss can move the ball against them. I think it'll probably come down to whether they let Mond beat them really both with his feet and through the air. But, yeah, I think they can. I'm not really sure what the blueprint is because I don't really know what to make of, well, a lot of times week-to-week either one of these teams, but particularly A&M. Borky pointed out earlier in the week, and I think it was a good point because it's not a small sample size. It's over the course of a couple of years. Kellen Mond does not seem to handle pressure well. Can Ole Miss get pressure on him because that's not something that they've been able to do consistently? They, I think, are, I think Ole Miss is either second or third in the SEC in sacks, but it's not a consistent thing where they are consistently putting pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, I guess it goes back to kind of a trust thing. Is well, one, can they get pressure with the three, four guys they have up front, and two, uh, can they blitz with, you know, do they trust the defense enough or trust the secondary enough to send guys on blitzes fairly regularly? You're out, you're without Tariqa Sisdale, you're down a linebacker for the first two quarters of the game. But yeah, I think that'll be a big part. Mond obviously has kind of fond memories over Ole Miss because he was about to get benched last year in that third quarter and then let a touchdown drive and then really took off the rest of the year. That was kind of the crossroads of his career. So, you know, last year that's what they kind of struggled with and Mond got his feet underneath him and played better in the second half. I guess it remains to be seen whether that's a different story this year. What would a win mean for Ole Miss on Saturday? They could realistically go to a bowl. Okay. What would a loss mean? 
the ceiling is five and seven, and I guess unless you go on the road and beat Auburn, which against that defensive front doesn't seem very likely. So, I mean, you kind of know what the ceiling is if with a loss, and it doesn't include postseason football. So, this is really kind of a last stand if you're hoping to play in December, January, whatever. I would assume it would be December at six and six. What about bigger picture? I mean, beyond just okay, a potential to get to six and six in a bowl game versus well, I mean, five and seven. I think your ceiling. the bowl game is a bigger picture. I'd be a lot more difficult to sell five and seven, or really, really, really hard to sell four and eight, despite the amount of young players you have and you know the amount of guys across the board that are eighteen, nineteen years old. Eventually, you got to win because that's you know what four straight seasons now without going to the postseason. Obviously, two of those the NCA said that was not permitted, but except for the 17th season, it didn't really matter. So I think the bowl game does play into the big picture and how you're kind of selling the program because Matt Luke is going to have a new boss within the next few months. Yeah. Um, Borky, any additional thoughts on that in terms of big picture win or loss this weekend for Ole Miss? I, I think that's that's the point is the ability to sell the program moving forward because at, at some point, even if, it appears that they're improving. They're playing a bunch of young guys. They're coming off of NCAA sanctions that really made it hard to do a lot of things within a football program. You still at some point have to have a product that you can sell because financially you've you've got to pay the piper. And I just if they don't show positive momentum, if they can't win one of these games down the stretch that they're air quotes not supposed to. I mean, presumably they're not going to be favored in all of their remaining games except for New Mexico State or New Mexico, whichever one it is. Uh, So they've got to go win one of these games to to sell something, to get people to start buying tickets again. Because even though there's an epidemic in really all of sports, not just college football, of fewer people showing up to games, it's more exaggerated, if you will, at Ole Miss. So you need something that you can, when a new athletic director comes in, sell to the people and that's what it comes down to. And I think this is their best opportunity, uh, at home anyway, to get one of those wins. I think Mississippi State's more winnable than Texas A&M at this point. But you've got, you need something tangible that you can sell. Because you can say young team, talented team, getting better, but people need to be able to put their fingers on something. And beating a Texas A&M, or far less likely an Auburn and then winning the Egg Bowl is something that you can take to people and you can sell your program to them and get them to show back up to your stadium next year. Without that, you're not. That's not going to be able. You can't do it. I, I that tend, you can just show up a bunch of white claws. <laughs> yeah, which they will this weekend. But. I, I, I tend to think that there will be a good crowd on Saturday night. Now. Definition of good. By the way, we got a we have a winner, so uh, right. the, the phones got? are still full, and they've been full. I'm sorry, I, sh- I should have said something. Uh, you uh, guys are uh, a little late. It's our, our guy Jared Porter and Hurley. Uh, he won right. the tickets today. It was almost immediate, so I, I'm sorry. I'd, uh, you guys have been wasting your time on the phone, but uh, there we go. Our guy Jared, Jared and Hurley wins a pair of Jason Aldean tickets for March 7th. In uh, in Tupelo. Thanks, Jason, for listening, and uh, congratulations on winning the tickets. My guess is that there's a good crowd on Saturday night. Stadium seats sixty three thousand. I don't think it's crazy to think that you would have fifty five thousand. This will be the first time this year where you have a significant number of visiting fans there. Um, 
regardless of what happens between now and then, the crowd will be small for New Mexico State. The A&M thing, you get the, the combination of beer sales for the first time, night game, A&M will travel well, and people think there's a chance to win the game. LSU will be basically full, but there will be a running ton of purple and gold inside the stadium. That's not a scientific number, by the way, running ton. Just a bunch. Yes, there will. And I would think of, I mean, Ole Miss fans are going to come to an LSU game. So, you know, will it be sold out? I don't know. Will it be close? Probably. But this is the opportunity to, I think Borky's on something, show something to your fans, get people a little bit reinvested, and really kind of keep them on the edge of their seat for the final four games of the regular season. Eight straight for Ole Miss to start the year before this open date, then three, and then an open date before uh, the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.